Let's go now uh, to the Word of God in 1 John chapter 4. Let's give heed to His Word. Good morning. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this love... In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Amen. Thank you, Anissa. Pray with me. Lord God, we pray that you would come in might and power, and that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Father, it remains a mystery to me why you choose sinful instruments to bring your word to your people. But that's precisely what you do. Maybe it's to demonstrate the hope and the beauty of the gospel, not the giftedness nor intelligence of the one speaking. Father, that must be the case. Because I know my foolishness, I know my sin, and if I knew it completely, there's no way I would have crawled up here this morning. But I thank you for the glory and the beauty of the propitiation for my sin, who is Jesus. And I pray this morning that your gospel would be made known in this room, that it might be made known in Memphis and beyond. Holy Spirit, would you come in power not only upon me, but upon your people in this room, that we might see Jesus and we might be changed. May we hear Jesus. May we know Jesus. May we love Jesus. May it all be about Jesus this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, the Syrian refugee crisis has certainly created a stir, hasn't it? It's created a debate. It's created a debate in our politics. It's created a debate in the church. And, uh, and, and it's a tough issue in terms of politics because it's not as simple as refugees seeking shelter, but ISIS, as we know, the, the enemy of modern civilization, is, is mixing into uh, the refugee population and infiltrating countries Um, which is really smart on their end. And so from a political standpoint, uh, man, I don't know what you do. And I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions. But when it comes to the church, it's not unclear at all. When, When it comes to us as Christians... It's not unclear at all. And see, God's church and his people have dealt with this tension between government and church through the ages. That's why um, the person that came to Jesus and asked, are we we to pay taxes? 
Jesus answered him. He said, hey, whose inscription is on that coin? And he said, well, it's Caesar's. He, and what did Jesus say in Mark? He said, well, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and then give to God what is God's. And so you have this competing reality that, man, i got to live in this tension of obeying even ruthless, evil rulers, which that's exactly what Jesus was saying, and yet be obedient to the God of glory in the same vein, simultaneously. How do you do that? Well, Christians have debated that forever. But what Jesus was pointing to and what John is pointing to in our our text is this, is that in the world there are going to be governments, but in this world there is also an established kingdom that is the kingdom of God. And we as Christians live in both kingdoms, but we are most loyal to the kingdom of God. And what John is telling us in this passage is that Christmas, the message of Christmas, is that... Love has dwelt among us. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And in this we know love, that Jesus came that we might have life in his name. And who did he come to? He came to you and he came to me. We were enemies of the cross. It would cost him his life. It would cost him everything to come to us. We would kill him. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And so this love that we are called to is dangerous. This love that we are called to is sacrificial. And this is what Christmas is all about. And dear friends, when it comes to love, we as Christians simply don't have a choice. We don't have that, that option of, well, you know, I just, I'm just not in the mood today. Uh, you know, it's going to cost me too much. Well, well, what if this happens? And what? We don't have that option. Because the whole thrust of God's redemptive work in the world, the whole thrust of the gospel, is to create a community of radical lovers. That's his whole point in the gospel. It's the whole message of Christmas. And it's the whole message of the cross. It's the whole message of Christianity. But the church has neglected the central message of Christianity, haven't we? I mean, that's why we have this this division that, that's why we live in Memphis, one of the most church uh, cities in the world, and yet the poorest city in the country. How do we have this? Because we have split gospel belief, gospel doctrine from gospel deed. And Jesus never does that. They are wed together and they must not be divorced. And so in our text this morning, what we want to see is how we are to think about love in a world that is trying to hijack the message of love. Because we've abandoned it, the world has taken it up, and they're turning it back on us. So how are we to live? And I think that's precisely where John was and what he was facing too in the latter part of the first century church. So let's look at it. The first thing we need to understand that I believe John is saying is that no man has God in a corner when it comes to love. The world can't out-love us, or they shouldn't out-love us. All right? Let me, let me kind of unpack this a little bit. Tim Keller, uh, in his book, Reason for God, told a story about a panel that he was on at a, at a college, a local college. 
And on that panel was uh, a Jewish rabbi, not only Tim Keller, who's a Christian minister, but also uh, a Jewish rabbi uh, who's a leader in Judaism, uh, the Jewish faith, as well as a Muslim imam who is a, a leader in Islam. Okay, And after much discussion, the three of them... Um, the Christian, the Muslim, and the Jewish leader um, all agreed on this one statement. Here's the statement. If Christians are right about Jesus being God, then Muslims and Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as he really is. Now, when he, when these three agreed to this statement that, hey, not all of us are right, because they know what their, their religion teaches, they know what their, their scriptures teach, if you will, to teach that Jesus was a teacher and prophet, Christianity teaches that he was the Son of God, God himself in the flesh. That's, all, that's what Christmas is about. Well, those three leaders agreed on that, and yet the students in the audience erupted in anger. One said, this is what's wrong with religion in the world. It pits others against itself. This whole idea that, that one God is greater than another, that one is more exclusive than another, this is what's wrong with the world. And you see, the topic of that panel discussion and the outcome of that has really become the gospel of the world. The gospel of the world is individual choice is truth. Uh, I can, if I want to believe in the Muslim God, if I want to believe in the Jewish God, if whatever I want to believe, that's what I have the right to believe. And here's the twist. And it's unloving to tell me any different. You see, I worship this God, and He tells me that this kind of marriage is okay. Therefore, it's unloving for you to impose your views upon me. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Because what it does is it paralyzes the Christian. Wait a minute. I thought we're supposed to be the loving ones. Now you're telling me that, that y'all are, y'all are more inclusive and, and y'all must be more loving than me. I mean, how are we to respond to that? I mean, it really does sound judgmental. It really does sound, um, not very loving to tell somebody, no, you must abandon your God and believe in Jesus the Christ. Doesn't it? I mean, it does. I mean, that's kind of how the world has gotten to us in our day. But let me kind of unpack this a little bit. Um, Let me illustrate how this argument and this whole idea of the world has kind of falls to the side, How where the hole is in the argument. This week, my wife and I gave our daughters Christmas presents. Okay? Now... What if, while giving Christmas presents, um, they opened them, thank me and their mom. Really, they were thanking their mom mostly because I, they knew I wasn't the one buying the top or the, uh, the monogram rain jacket um, and so forth. Um, but imagine, as they're thanking the giver, 
if all of a sudden a couple of them started thanking my son-in-law, Jed. They're opening the gifts that I gave them, but they start saying, Jed, thank you so much. And what if Amy Catherine, our faithful and true and loving daughter, spoke up in the midst of this and said, wait a minute, no, 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 this is crazy. Mom and Dad gave you those gifts. And what if our other two daughters said, oh, well, that's really exclusive. I think we have the right to to say thank you to whoever we want to say thank you to. I mean, we're not hurting anybody. What's the big deal? If it's not hurting you, then I should be able to thank whoever I want to thank. I mean, do you see the absurdity in that? It's absolutely absurd because what it does is it places all the focus on the receiver and it discounts the giver. And it becomes even more absurd when you bring in the gospel into the picture. John tells us, beloved, let us love one another, for love is what? From God. The Christian argument is this, is that if you know anything about love, which we all do, every human being does... It's not because the human being is so good, but because love existed in the universe before the human being existed in the universe. Do you see, the concept of love is built into the DNA of the universe because God is love, and because love comes and originates in and from God Himself. And so, who does it hurt? When we reject God as the giver of all good things, when we reject the very essence of His salvation, His Son Jesus, it hurts the giver. (laughs) It hurts the one who deserves to be praised and thanked and worshipped. It hurts the one who created us all, who sustains us all who in one little tiny movement of his being could obliterate us all for eternity, who could have ended humanity in Genesis chapter 3, but he said instead, I am going to send one who's going to crush the head of Satan. The seed of the woman is coming, and the rest of the story begins to just go forward. A Savior is coming, a Savior is coming. One is coming who's going to redeem this world from the curse that it's in. One's going to come that's going to free the captives. The, 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 the boots of the oppressors that are spilling our blood are going to be wiped away forever. There's going to be peace and harmony and reconciliation. There's going to be no more sorrow. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more hunger. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more babies in Laboner sick. St. Jude will be put out of business. Laboner will be put out of business. The Union Mission will be put out of business. And the church will be enfolded into glory. So who does it hurt? It offends the God of glory that has provided the one way of salvation when He was not obligated in the least. And then secondly, no man has got in a corner when it comes to love. The nature of love is sacrifice, not self-fulfillment. The nature of love is sacrifice, not self-fulfillment. It's amazing how the world is telling us and telling the rest of the world what love is to be about. 
I don't know if you saw the story this week of um, Al-Shabaab. It's, it's an offshoot of Al-Qaeda that's at work in Kenya. And uh, the Al-Shabaab stopped a bus full of people this week in, in a part of Kenya. And they stormed with their guns and, and were trying to separate the Muslims from the Christians because their goal is to uh, exterminate Christians from the land. And the Muslims have even come to, I mean, they, they're sick of this mess. And so before the Al-Shabaab militants got on the bus, the Muslim women uh, pulled out extra head coverings and gave them to uh, the Christian women. And when uh, the Al-Shabaab militants came on, they said, you know, the Muslims get off, the Christians stay on. The Muslims said, we're all Muslims, so shoot us all if that's what you want to do. Isn't that amazing? And you see, we look at that and we say, man, that is so loving. Isn't it? It is. But how do we know that that is loving? How do we know that that is the essence of virtue? 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Your friends, how do we know that that is virtue? How do we know when we go to a movie and, and the, the, the hero of the movie sacrifices his or her life for others? How do we step back and we're, we're crying at the end of the movie. The, most effect, you know, the more effective that someone is in telling the story, the more emotion, the more tears flow. Right? Why is that? Because of the cross. Because sacrifice is at the center of love because it's at the center of God. God was sacrificing even creating us. He was sacrificing even creating the universe. He didn't need us. He didn't need anything. And he does, He's not a show-off. So why did He do it? Because love sacrifices. Love gives. Love lays down for the neighbor. Love lays down for the other. That's the nature of love. But how do we know that? Because it's rooted in God. Because He sent His Son. That we might know what love is by Him not only taking on our flesh, but laying His life down for us. And dear friends, that is to be the essence of the church life right there. You see, this is the whole thrust of the gospel. That God may create His body to reflect His glory. And His glory is manifest not in supernatural acts, but in the supernatural act of taking a self-centered man like me, a self-centered man or woman like you, and getting us over us to love each other. Read the book of Ephesians. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Because what we see in Ephesians is, is that, that the reason Jesus came, the reason that He lived and died, was to reconcile the enemies in this world. To reconcile Jews and Gentiles. People that hated each other because of their race, because of their class, because of their food habits and the way they dressed. They, they, they lived life differently, so they hated each other. They were enemies. And yet, in the body of Christ, the hostility is gone and the two have become one in Jesus. And when the world sees that, 
it validates the reality of the gospel. I love what Peter Winter said this week in the New York Times. He said, Christianity placed charity at the center of its spiritual life as no pagan cult ever had, according to the theologian David Bentley Hart, and raised the care of widows, orphans, the sick, the imprisoned, and the poor to the level of the highest of religious obligations. Christianity played a key role in ending slavery and segregation. Today, Christians are taking the lead against human trafficking and on behalf of unborn life. They maintain countless hospitals, hospices, and orphanages around the world. We moderns assume that compassion for the poor and marginalized is natural and universal. But actually, we think in this humanistic manner in large measure because of Christianity. What Christianity did, my friend, my friend, the Reverend uh, Carol Coppock once told me, is to, quote, transform our way of thinking about the poor and sick and create an entirely different cultural given. Dear friends, is that your view of Christianity? Is Jesus and his gospel moving you to radical acts of mundane love? Is he? Is he moving you to radical acts of mundane love, or has he simply given you a perception that all he did was come to live and die and be raised and ascend to heaven and come back one day so that you can feel good about you right now? No, he gets us over us. He frees us so that we might feel wonderful about God and that we might know the dignity and the worth that we have because His Son came and died for us. But so that we might be freed from our selfishness to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's freedom, friends. It's freedom. The one who understands the reality of the gospel, that God came in the flesh and to live among us, to show us what love is, and to love us individually and personally and corporately by giving his life as a payment for our sins. The one who understands that and lives by that beautiful loving reality is the person that sacrifices for his neighbor. Now understand the order. I love it. The order, as John is making abundantly clear, is that, is that Jesus came to live among us to show us what love is. He came to live and to become an, a propitiation for our sins so that we might believe it and live it. Do you hear that? When I hear messages like this, oftentimes... I think in my mind, and I think sometimes we get to this point, and I think maybe the Scriptures do as well, where we say, are you proposing works righteousness? Are you saying that, that I must love my neighbor in order to be a Christian? And no, the order is abundantly clear right here. No, we don't love our neighbor to be a Christian. But we love our neighbor because we are a Christian. Because when we become a Christian, the story that now reorients our lives is the message that Jesus came to me personally. He came to this earth personally for me. 
He came in the flesh. He didn't just send me a Bible. He didn't just send me a message. He came to me personally because my sin was that bad. He had to live under the law. Because do you understand, this is how I think most people view Christianity. We are little peons down there. God is up here and he's holding his law out. All right, come on. Come on. You can, really? You can do better than that. Come on, jump. Come Oh, Really? This is boring. I'm waiting. I mean, that's how most of us, I think, perceive God's viewpoint of us. But that is religion. That is not Christianity. Christianity says, here's the law, and all of my people have sinned and fall short of the glory of, of, of my law. And therefore, I must go down. And I must, I must become man. I must live among them. I must, I must live as a human being. I must obey the Father's holy standard myself because it would crush them. It would be a curse to them. And so He lived under the law for you. Not to make you feel bad about your sin, but so that you could hear that and say, Hallelujah, I'm free from the demands of the law. It does not crush me anymore because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law for me. And then He took on my sin when He went to the cross and He was cursed for my transgressions. And He paid the penalty of my sin. I can't do penance for my sin. There's nothing that I can do that pays for my sin. Jesus has paid it all. All to Him I owe. Do you hear it? And so when I believe that, then I start looking not only at God and myself differently, but I look at my neighbor differently. Because if I believe that the Son of God had to take on flesh to come down for me then who am I better than? Nobody. Man, it's hard to remember when I'm in an argument with my wife and I know I'm right. It's hard for me when I'm walking down the street and I see somebody in need. They hadn't had a shower in days or weeks or longer. It's hard for me to to not feel because I've worked so hard and I'm so educated and that there's not some li- all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. If Jesus didn't come, there's no difference. There's no difference. Do you see how we can be a radical community? Because who are you feeling better than this morning? Everybody in here is feeling better than somebody. Because that's our human nature. We are self-justifiers. And Jesus says, stop it, I'm going to free you from having to do that. You all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, yet all are justified freely through Christ. So receive Jesus Christ and you don't have to live in enmity with one another. You don't have to get revenge. You don't have to carry that hate. You don't have to carry that, be in bondage to that bitterness and that anger. You don't have to drive down Poplar and cuss everybody out. I'm preaching to myself. I don't know if anybody else does that, but that's certainly my heart. That's why I barely leave downtown. It's much harder to be a Christian on Poplar than it is on Front Street. Do you see the point? Do you see now why it's a big deal if we have something against each other in this body? Because this is the apologetic. No argument has ever won anybody to Jesus. 
The world is watching and waiting and looking at us, saying, Do you really love? And you see, the nature of love is to sacrifice self, not self-fulfillment. It's not, I'm going to give love anyway. You know, I deserve this, so I'm going to... Love says, hey, I love Jesus, and if He's going to keep me single the rest of my life, He's going to keep me single. No, I don't deserve to sleep with whoever I want to. I don't deserve a little pleasure on the side because He's my King, because He came and lived and died. He sacrificed for me, so He deserves all. No, I don't have the, I don't have the right, I don't have the authority to end this marriage just because my needs aren't being met. I don't have the right, I don't have the authority to quit this job just because I'm miserable. I don't have the right, I don't have the authority to, to drop out of school. I don't have the right, I don't have the authority to live anywhere. No. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's sacrifice. And then thirdly and finally, love is the power to change the world. I love this. The day before Christmas, I cooked a bunch of that Chex Mix stuff. Isn't that Christmas for most everybody? Uh, you know, the three different kinds of Chex Mix. The reason I know is I've never cooked it before. Now I know exactly what's in it because I made it. Three different kinds of Chex Mix. Did another with three different kinds of Chex Mix. Um, peanuts, um, uh, pretzels, and I even threw in some... Uh, Honey Nut Cheerios, kind of spicy, you know, a little sweet, a little salty. So I cooked it all up. We ate pretty much the whole first batch. So I had to cook another batch. As I did, I'm thinking about my neighbors, and I, I say, you know, all right. We went and bought some of those little tins, and I filled them up. And I said, I'm just going to go, you know, we know our neighbors. So I went, and I just kind of put them on the doorstep of our neighbors. Within two hours, my neighbor to the left brought over like this huge bag of venison. He's a deer hunter. All kinds of sausage and hamburger meat. Amazing, you know. The other, another knock on the door. Other neighbor came over with a, a plate full of cookies. I get this text later that night from the other neighbor. Thank you so much. We've about, we just tore into those things. Yeah, we're about done. Y'all have a, have a blessed Christmas. Didn't hear from the fourth neighbor. I don't know what their problem is, but. <laughs> That's all right. Maybe I ought to go to their front door and make sure they got it. Uh, I mean, that is such a simple thing. What's the principle? Love begets love. When John wrote this, Christians were dying. There was immense persecution going on. And, and there were people standing up and... and, and Claiming to be the Savior. If you read First John, you're like, man, what's all this talk about the Antichrist and testing the spirits to make sure? And what's all this weird kind of stuff? Well, man, there was some weird stuff going on. There were people rising up and saying they were the Messiah. People were dying. Men and women were losing their homes. They were losing their jobs because they were being displaced. They were in financial peril. And what does John write to tell them about? How do you fight it? Did, did, he, did he write to them and say, okay, let me, let's talk about self-defense here. Let's talk about when they invade your home. No. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us.
Did Really? Now, wait a minute. But what about my right to bear arms? <laughs> Can I fight back? Can I? This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us. Dear friends, how are we going to change the world? We're going to change the world by being a radical community of love. It's why Jesus came to give us himself, so that we might be motivated and empowered to give ourselves to our neighbor. Do you understand that you can't do that without Jesus? How do we go out of here today and, first of all, have the boldness to look at and analyze our lives and and say, God, show me how self-centered I've been living how do we even have the power? I mean, I don't know about you. When I To pray that prayer, buddy, you've got to be ready to hear some things. So how do we do that? Because God loves you right now through His Son, Jesus. God loves you right now through His Son, Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus, all your sins have been washed away. You don't see something in your life, change it so that God can finally love you. But He is wanting to show us some stuff because He loves us. And because we're the ones suffering, not him. We're not changing him. He's not losing sleep because he doesn't sleep. (laughs) The gospel is the power to say, God, show me where I'm selfish. Show me where I'm living for me. And you say, well, man, what is it going to cost me? I barely have enough money right now to pay the bills. What if it means I've got to live somewhere else? What if it means, what if it means, don't worry about what it means. Because he's got us. That's the whole message. He's got us. He knows what love is because He is love. And therefore, He is going to call us deeper into His love by calling us to do whatever He's going to call us to do. We're only going to find more of His love on the other side, not less. We have nothing to fear because perfect love drives away fear. Do you know that perfect love this morning? Do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you believing it for yourself? Is your life marked with distinctive acts of radical love? Is there radical sacrifice? Are you fighting to give something up in your life because you love Jesus so much, because you know that He loves you so much more? Dear friends, take the next minute or two. As we take the offering, just... Ask God. Say, God, where? Show me my selfishness. Show me how you want me to change, but show me how great and magnificent your love really is so that I might have power in your love to love. Go to God right now as we collect the tithes and offerings.